Thanks for, thanks for saying hi to someone. And uh, yeah, grab a seat, grab a seat. Oh, so good to be with you. As, uh, yeah, as, as Kim, my, my name's Tim. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here. It's, it's great to be with you. It's great to meet you if we're just meeting. Um, this is, as Connor and Kim, Kim just got done saying, like this is just one of our uh, Sundays throughout the year that we look forward to. It's one of our, our favorite baptisms is a big reason reason why, and then this, this food offering, and, and uh, this is so great. If you brought food, awesome. If you didn't, please don't feel like you're left out. Just celebrate with us. When we give it later, you can even just get up and walk around and kind of pretend like you're in the mix and then go back to your seat. Like, that's, that's fine, too. Um, we're just so glad that you're here. Um, I just, I can't, I can't let this go. I got to tell you about this. <laughs> Kim and Connor said there was four baptisms in the first gathering, and, and that's true. There were. That's, that, that's accurate. And they, they celebrated them. It, is, it was so wonderful to hear how God is working in people's lives. Um, we had a, a, a couple who, um, they, they, just, they just were up in the tank. You missed it. It was like less than an hour ago saying that God met them in a dream and they started looking for a church and found Mosaic and thought they were coming just so that their kid could go to church because they needed some moral direction for their six-year-old. And they said they, they were coming to just endure whatever they had to endure in here. And God spoke to them, and they read their testimonies of how they're giving their lives to Jesus and want to follow him. And if that could happen over and over and over and over again in our city, this world would be different. And it's so great that we get to celebrate that. We're going to hear from some kids earlier as they get up in the tank. We've got a college student that's getting baptized. Um, If you're here and you have not been baptized, but you're following Jesus, um, and today might be a great day to get baptized. The, The water's warm. Um, we cheer really, really loud here. Um, it, it's a great opportunity. We have clothes for you. If you didn't have your baptism uniform and that's why you haven't gotten baptized before, look at this, right? Like this. Like, yeah. that, look at that. You, you can wear this. It's built and sewn to biblical standards and that's, that's there. And then, and then this. This is the baptism shirt for, for little people. So um, we, we have other ones. If you're not a little person, this would not fit me. Um, but don't let, don't let that be the reason why. Renee is sitting in the back corner there, and um, we'll be there until the end of the gathering. If you're at all, like, I, I, think, I think God's leading me to be baptized today. I'm ready, I'm ready for that. Or maybe you're not ready. You don't have to be ready. You just have to be willing. And Renee can, can answer questions and, and get you connected. And so um, I'm going to talk for a little bit while I'm up here, and then we're going to celebrate baptisms together. But if that's you and you're thinking about it, uh, we would love to, uh, to be the church that celebrates with you as you get baptized. Um, no one has ever drowned, been injured, or died from being baptized in this place. Um, it will be great. It will be a great day for you if, if that's you. So we've got five scheduled. We'd love for six, seven, eight, nine, and ten to, to just feel prompted and led today. So, um, hey, would you, uh, would you pray with me? And then we're going to open up scripture just for uh, a little bit here and, uh, uh, and see what God has to, to, to teach us as we end our series that we've been in in, in this particular letter, First uh, Peter in the New Testament. So let's pray together and then, and then go to scripture together. God, we just got done standing and singing things that are true of you, that you are that you are good. We sang that you're so, so good. And so we, again, just declare and acknowledge in this place, in this moment, that, that you are a good God, that you're the creator of the universe, that you're at all places at all times, that you know and see all, that you are all powerful and that you are good. And that you offer us grace and mercy upon mercy and forgiveness upon forgiveness, that you are the God of grace. And that's why we 
have come to life and know you and are living the way that you're calling us to live right now. And so we just acknowledge that as who you are and are grateful to you for that. And Holy Spirit, we need your help. We need you to, to move and, and work in our time here and in us. Would you bring our minds to be alert, our hearts to be soft? Would you comfort where you're, we need your comfort? Will you convict where we need your conviction? Uh, will you heal us and lead us forward? And Jesus, we're here because of you, because of your life your death, your resurrection, we're able to be in this place and to celebrate and to be alive. And so we ask that you would, would speak to us, that you would guide us, that we would hear from you right now as we look to your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you've ever uh, had something really, really important and meaningful to, to say to somebody and you've, you've, you've spent some time thinking about it and you've built up to it and maybe you're even nervous or, or anxious and, and you've, you've built up to the moment and, and then you've communicated what it is you need to communicate. Maybe it's in person uh, and maybe it's really, really good news or maybe it's written over a text or email and, or maybe even in a written letter if people still do that, I don't know. And, and, and you've communicated what you need to communicate and, and you leave it at the end with the, the, the final most meaningful thing. But but this is where I want you to be left with. This is what I want you to hear from me. Or maybe it's not a good thing. Maybe it's a, actually a very hard or difficult or painful thing. And you want to communicate to somebody how angry you are, or how hurt you are, or how betrayed you are. And you build it up and at the very end you say, and this is how I feel and this is the impact on me. How you end and how you leave it is, matters and we think through that. We don't want to know how we so, land the plane, so to speak, or finish off or the the ringing that is left when it's done because it's, it matters and it's important and we want to leave another person with something either how difficult and painful it's been and the hurt that they've caused or how good it is and the invitation or the hope or the, the proposal or whatever it might be that is so good at the end. The, the end matters and we're going to read one verse this morning together and it's that ending verse. It's how Peter wants to kind of land the plane, so to speak, and leave off with this letter that's very short. It's a brief letter. It's 105 verses. That's, if you're not familiar with Scripture very much, that's not very long for a book of the Bible. It's the book is, is First Peter. And as we've been going through this year, we've, we've called this year for our church a, a year of Jubilee 2019, which is a set-aside year. And what we've been doing is walking through portions of Scripture together, and there's been a reading plan. And for the fall, we've just kind of stopped and paused on this 105 verses of 1 Peter. And it's been so helpful for us. It's spoken to where we find ourselves in Portland, Vancouver, metro area in the Pacific Northwest at this point in history. In this kind of culture in which we live, this letter of 1 Peter speaks to us repeatedly over and over and over so clearly to our circumstances, to the challenges and struggles that we face as we seek to follow Jesus here and now. And then there's this one sentence at the very end. It's the third to the last verse. And Peter wants to land it here and leave us with this. And I want us to look at this just for a few moments together this morning. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. It says this. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God, stand fast in it. With the help of Silas, it's kind of like a scribe, I'm helping him write it, uh, whom I regard as a faithful brother, he's close to him, he trusts him, I have written to you briefly, 105 verses, not very long, and here's what I've done. I've encouraged you and I've testified that this is the true grace of God, he says, period. 
Next sentence, stand fast in it. So the, the, the reason for writing is that we would know the true grace of God. And then he tacks on again, stand fast in it. And he says, I've done two things in order so that you, you would know this. I've, I've testified and I've encouraged. I've testified, which is another way of saying, like, I've climbed up on the witness stand and I've, I've sat in the witness stand and I've delivered what I've experienced. It's something that's personal to me. Peter says, I've, I've written myself into this. I'm not writing to you about some kind of conceptual thing. I'm not telling you somebody else's story. I'm, I'm, I'm in this with you. I've lived this with you. I felt your pain. I felt your challenge. I felt your joy. I know Jesus like you. I've been trying to follow him just like you. I'm in this with him. I'm testifying to him. I'm a witness. I'm declaring my experience with you and to you. That's testify. He says, I've encouraged you. I've encouraged you. We, we, we know what it's like to be encouraged. We know when, when we're struggling, when we're down, when we're having a hard time, and somebody comes and they, they put an arm around us, whether in person or over the phone or however it might happen, but we, we sense that they've, they've put an arm around us and kind of kind of pulled us in and, and said, I, I, know what's, I know what's going on. I know what's hard, and, and I want to encourage you. I want to tell you you're going to make it. I want to tell you who I know you to be. I want to tell you and affirm you of, of, of who you are and I've been through this too, and you can make it through. Do we know what it's like to be encouraged? And Peter is doing that in this letter, but he's also doing something a little more in this, in this word encouraging. See, when we hear encourage, we think of the feeling that we are left with, that we get. And we know what that's like. We know what it's like to encourage somebody else. We know what it's like to be encouraged, and that there's a feeling that we experience. And that's intended in this word, but then there's something beyond that. It's not just encouraging that I hope you feel good. It's also this, this additional word that it's not just encouragement, it's actually exhortation. I, I said it incorrectly in the, in the first gathering as uh, extort, and it's, it's not that. He's not trying to get money from them. It's exhort. It, it's not a word that we're totally familiar with. We don't use it a lot. I mean, you've probably never said to your friend, I exhort you to do this. Um, and if you have, then wow, you sound smarter than the rest of us. But to exhort somebody means not just to help them, encourage them so that they feel a certain way. Exhort is actually, carries with it, within there is the meaning of, I'm telling you what to do. I'm encouraging you, but I'm also telling you what to do. It, it's this part of speech called an imperative. It's, it's do this now. Um, now, I've, I've gotten, I don't use the term exhortation, but I've exhorted my sons over the course of their lifetime. I love you. You're amazing. You're wonderful. I really love you. Now do this. Peter is doing that a little bit. And, and here's why he's doing that. He's, he's, he's exhorting them. He's telling them how to live. It's because in the very first verse of this letter, is when his starting point, he says this. He says, this is who it is. It's Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who's writing. To God's elect, who are exiles scattered throughout the providences of any, he lists five cities that he's writing to. He says, your exiles scattered. You're following Jesus, but because you're following Jesus, th this is no longer your home. This is no longer your home. You're following Jesus, which means you're part of, of a family that will span all time. That you're part of a family that, whose home is not here, whose home is in heaven. You now have a citizenship that is not in this planet. It's in heaven that you're exiles, you're here, you're out of place. You don't actually fit. We want to fit. We want to fit in. But we don't fit because we're followers of Jesus. That's true of them, and that's true of those of us that are following Jesus today. We're exiles. But we're exiles who are scattered. And scattered isn't accidental. 
Scattered is intentional. That God has said, you're now part of my family. You're daughters and sons of the king. That you're in God's family now. And rather than pulling you out of this place and putting you in heaven somewhere, no, he scattered us here. And he's placed us exactly where we are. If you were here a couple of months ago, we talked about what it means to, to be a, a holy temple. And that there's this, there's this light that's in each of us. And God's placed us where we are, in our families, in our classrooms, in our schools, in our places of work, in our neighborhoods. God's placed us in all the places that we are. Because he wants you there. But we feel out of place. We're exiles who have been placed by God in certain places. And so, as we feel this today in Portland, Vancouver, metro area, they felt it then. And Peter is writing to them and saying, I don't want to just encourage you and have you feel better. I want to give you guidance and instruction throughout all 105 of these verses on how to live for Jesus where you are. So he says, I'm going to put my arm around you and hold you tight and tell you who you are and encourage you. And I hope you feel better. But then I'm also going to tell you what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this place and time. Here's some of the things that he said over the course of this 105 verses. Be full of hope. Do you want to follow Jesus in a time that's challenging? Know the hope that is Jesus and be full of hope. That's actually a command. <laughs> that's a, I'm telling you to be full of hope. There's plenty of reasons for it. We can lots of them and talk about them and tell stories, but, but be full of hope. Be holy. Mm-hmm. Be holy. Be different. Be distinct. Be set apart. Don't fit in. Be holy. Love each other. Be a different kind of people who love each other. Be subject. That was a tough one right there in the end of chapter two of chapter three. Be subject. What does that mean? Honor everyone. Keep your tongue from evil. Honor Christ as holy. Be self-controlled and sober. Be self-controlled and sober. Here's another one. An imperative, a command, exhortation. Rejoice. Rejoice. Don't just wait till joy happens to fall on you. There's actually an instruction to rejoice. Practice being joyful. Rejoice. Don't be surprised by a fiery trial, by difficulty. Entrust yourself to God. Here's another command. Clothe yourself in humility. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. All these are commands. This is what it means to, to follow Jesus. I'm going to exhort you. I'm going I'm to command you. I'm going to encourage you to live in this way. I'm going to give you guidance for how to be a follower of Jesus in a challenging time. And these are all the ways that he says. And then he ends. And he says, and there's one more. And here's the last one. Stand fast in it. Stand fast in the true grace of God. I'm going to testify and I'm going to encourage that everything that we've just talked about is the grace of God. All these commands are actually the grace of God. They're God's grace in our life of telling us how to actually live because we need the help on how to do that. But it's not just the grace of God in telling us how to live. It's the grace of God that even gives us the power to be able to live this way. And beyond that and before that, it gives us the freedom to be forgiven from sin. He says all of this is the true grace of God. Throughout the book, we've read about how we, can, we are supplied the grace of God, how it's brought to us, how we are heirs of grace, the grace of life together, all given by God. And then he says, this is the true grace of God, and so stand in it. And we get what stand fast means, right? Which, I mean, it kind of sounds funny, catches our ear a little bit, because it's, it's, it's stand, but do it really fast. So right now, as you can tell, I am standing very, very fast, right? 
Stand fast means don't move. Stay right where you are. Be determined. Be intentional. Don't just accidentally end up standing someplace. We've all done that. But find the grace of God. Jump into it. Stand on it and be fast about it and don't go anywhere. The word actually means to establish something. To establish who it is that you decide you're going to be. Who it is that you're going to rely on what your identity is going to be, that you establish it and then don't move. That's what stand fast means. And it's on the grace of God that we know a God who said, I'm going to forgive you. And then I'm going to offer my grace again and again and again. And it's going to be this, I read this somewhere, it says super abounding. It's not just abounding. It's not just in abundance. And it's super abounding. And over and over and over, God's grace is poured on us. It's so that we can we can say this third verse in the whole letter. Chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's through Jesus Christ that we have the grace of God offered to us. Through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. Because Jesus Christ came into our world, into our humanity, fully God yet fully human, lived some 33 years, went through a mock trial, was executed in the most brutal way on a cross, had a bunch of really skilled, experienced men determine that he was dead and really, really dead, and then buried him. And the miracle of all miracles, it is the pivot point of all human history that changes our life and the life of everything that all of this means is that God raised him from the dead. And now you and I can actually have life. We can be saved. And so when it says new birth into a living hope, it means that we're invited to move from death to life. It's the entire reason baptism exists. Baptism, water is meant to symbolize death. And to go underneath it meant to be in it, to be in death. And to come out of it meant to be alive. And so when we do this thing and people are baptized... It's a physical representation of something that's happened truly, deeply, personally inside that only God can do, that we can't do it. It's God's grace. I love Dallas Willard's definition of grace. And and, and maybe you're familiar with grace, and grace can mean a whole lot of things. It can mean rest and love and relief and, and all sorts of things. But it means favor from God that we didn't do anything to earn and can't do anything to keep. It's not up to us. It's unmerited favor from God. And Dallas Willard describes it like this. He says, it's God's action in my life and in your life to accomplish what we cannot do on our own. God's taking action in our lives to accomplish something that we can't do on our own. I can't save myself on my own. I can't be good enough for God. I can't live in a way that that makes him love me more. I, w- I was reading an article this week on, on uh, Mr. Rogers. Um, there's a movie that just came out. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I think I probably will. I was reading an article about it. If you don't know who Mr. Rogers is, uh, you're really, really young. Um, <laughs> he, was, he, was on, uh, um, he was on PBS for 31 years, a uh, kid's show on uh, TV, and it, uh, for more than a few of us in this room, he, he shaped us early on as kids. And... Uh, so something I learned about him, he's an ordained, was ordained Presbyterian pastor. And his ministry, his calling, was this kid's show. And he 
Led this kids show for 31 years. And, and uh, this article was going back to an, an interview that was done for him. And they said, of all of his shows and all of his creativity and all of his consistency over all those years, the, the, the thread that ran through all of it was that he wanted kids to know that they were loved just as they are. You add Jesus onto the end of that and you've got the good news of the God of the universe. That the God of the universe through Jesus Christ wants me and you to know that we are loved just the way we are. And so stand fast in the grace of God. God's grace in our life is his power to accomplish in our lives what we cannot accomplish on our own, including standing fast. That we don't even have it on our own power to stand consistently. Why? Because most of us have this experience that keeps happening in our lives where we do say or think something that we're ashamed of and we start to slide away and go, there's no way that God could still love me because I've done, thought, or said this thing. And so Peter reminds us to stand fast right here. We don't need to go away when we fail ourselves or our friends or our family or God, that we can stand fast in the grace of God. And some of us try to step off of this because we become really confident and far less than humble and think we can figure it out on our own. And so we step off of the grace and we try it on our own. And Peter reminds us, come back and stand in the grace of God because it's God's power to do in me what I cannot do on my own. That we rely on and need God's grace so that praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what we're invited into. That's what we're called to. And then as we stand here, we not only realize the reality that the God of the universe forgives us and extends grace and mercy to us, but then gives us the power to live in the ways that he's calling us to live in the here and now. And so we get to celebrate that people have experienced that. They've heard that good news from God. They've heard it from their parents. They've heard it in their Sunday school class. They've heard it from their friends. They've heard it from teachers, books, pastors, however God has communicated it to them. And they've responded with saying, yes, that's true. I need this grace and I want to stand here. And by God's grace, I will remain here the rest of my